Well, welcome to another episode of Breakaway from the Rat Race. And today I have the pleasure of speaking with Lauren Wells. Lauren leads the strategic evaluation of market research and implementation and heads business strategies. Uh, Lauren brings over 10 years of business development and sales experience and project management experience to the company. Uh, the company is called 70 Mortgage Note. Uh, and then... Um, Prior to joining the company, she worked as a senior consultant with SaaS startups, including Procore and LinkedIn, to build and scale their sales organization. So this included developing forecasts, defining target markets, identifying acquisition opportunities, uh, and establishing new sources of revenue. Uh, Lauren has also been involved in real estate investing. She's a real estate investor since 2010. And during this time, she has helped grow and manage a portfolio of over 100 assets, which include both residential real estate and mortgage notes. Lauren, welcome to the show. Thank you, Eric. Happy to be here. Thank you for the great introduction. My um, pleasure. Yeah. So yeah, tell, tell us more about about that. Obviously, so you're a real estate investor, but you're also a yeah. notes notes investor, which is something that we're gonna talk a little bit more in depth here. Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's get started on real estate investing. How did you get started on real estate investing? And then kind of like, how did you decide? I'm assuming that you started with real estate and then you went to real estate note. But uh, how did you decide after that to diversify to to mortgage notes? How did that happen? Yeah, so I um I grew up around real estate and did what any I'm the oldest of three children, oldest child would do and said, absolutely not. I am not doing real estate. This is not for me. And so I went, like you mentioned earlier, the Silicon Valley software startup route and eventually found my way, as my family would say, back, back to real estate when I realized that in order to kind of create wealth for myself, for my family, it wasn't going to be found in, you know, at my day job. Mm -hmm. So um, started with looking and helping manage and learn really the long-term rental portfolio and, you know, what do acquisitions look like? How do, where am I going to be able to get in? So I'm doing this, you know, I have my day job, I have my side hustles, which we can talk about later. <laughs> And those kind of funded the the growth of the portfolio. So not only mine, but managing others as well. Mm -hmm. And learned a lot there, learned a lot what, about what I loved and what I didn't love about investing. And I would say, I think there, the biggest thing I found was, and what kind of led me to notes. And then what made me realize even further that notes was still active was that it was still really active. Mm -hmm. And as someone who has young children, and wants to be there as they grow in and like the biggest way I can. Yeah. Um, I realized that, you know, managing units was great, but it's a lot of, it's still a very active, like you are not sitting collecting mailbox money as they say. Yeah. So looked into notes, which, you know, I then kind of built my own portfolio there of about 50 mortgage notes. Mm -hmm. And at that point, um, again, still pretty active. One, I wasn't having to deal with borrowers. And for those of you who don't know what a mortgage note is, so you essentially assume when you purchase a mortgage note, you know, everyone has a mortgage and a note when they purchase a home, you essentially are assuming the position of the bank. So when I purchased a first lien mortgage note, I would assume the position of the bank to the borrower. 
So this was attractive to me because I did not want to, you know, I didn't have to deal with tenants. They were borrowers. They had made a commitment. You know, I was the bank. I was just collecting payments. So, you know, looking at people who were performing and then non-performing. So people who weren't paying and, you know, what avenues do I have there? Um, and that was much less active than managing tenants, as you can imagine. Um, I wasn't speaking with borrowers and however, you know, I started kind of, as you know, when you're kind of in that real estate realm, you network, you meet other people, you find other opportunities and connected with my now business partner to launch a fund, which now kind of provides that passive option to people. So, yeah. yeah. So let's uh, let's go back a little bit and yeah. of, you're at your day job. I also work for a SaaS company. I worked for Salesforce okay. for five. Oh, years. awesome! And, okay, and um, you know, and I worked <laughs> in CRM for many years. I had like a real job at one point. Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> and I was also a pro- project manager and uh, yeah. you know, all that kind of good stuff. All uh, that good stuff. All the free lunches. <laughs> But then, exactly, yeah, all the free lunches, the free, the free Coca-Cola. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just to keep you healthy. Yeah, and, super um, healthy and super, you know, move moving a lot. <laughs> so you're sitting at your desk and you're in meetings most of the time. And then you think, well, you know, this is like, so what what change, what, what is going through your mind and say, okay, well, this is, I have to do something. I have yeah. to get out of this nine to five yeah. sometimes even longer than nine to five. And then when you include the commute and then it's like yeah. eight yeah. to six and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so how did you kind of like realize, made that realization? What made you realize that? Yeah. So a couple of things. Um, I volunteer coached a high school water polo team when I was working at one of the tech companies. And I realized at these practices and games and tournaments, which parents were there. And typically they either had their own business or they were in some sort of real estate investor, you know, in some capacity. And I thought, okay, if I am going to have kids soon, I wasn't, you know, I was married. We didn't plan on having kids anytime soon, but I was like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to not be sitting in meetings and at a desk all day because that's just not compatible with the life that we want for our future children. And so at that point, I kind of went the, I didn't really think about real estate yet. Um, I went to the side hustle route and I was like, what skills can I draw from my day job to create like a consulting business that then, you know, I manage my own time. I'm, did you go this route as well? (laughs) You're, you're laughing. Yeah. So that seems, we have a lot of similarities. I also played water polo in high school. So, Oh, did you? (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. So I, that's the team that I coached. I, you know, I played through college. So, um, yeah, so I went and was like, okay, I have, you know, I'm in sales and business development. If I can find companies to work with me on a retainer basis to, you know, where I come in as a, I guess you could say fractional VP of sales or fractional business development person, you Mm -hmm. know, could that work? Could that give me back my time? And it did, you know, I, did that through, you know, my whole entire first pregnancy and then ended up leaving my job, um, after my maternity leave was up and just did that. And then while that was great, I, you know, I felt like I had my flexibility, I had the time, but I was still like 
the clients, my new boss became my clients. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, it's like, okay, I traded the kind of, I love, and I loved all my clients. At least I got to pick who they were, Yeah. but it, they were still like another form of a boss. Yeah. And again, while I'm doing all this, my younger sister fully fledged into real estate and she's like, you know, going <laughs> great. And I'm like, okay, she's, um, we're very opposite. She's wanted to do real estate since she was like 10 years old. So, <laughs> you know, um, doing, seeing that and think, thinking, okay, that's like, again, where I need to be. And like I mentioned earlier, I was super resistant because it was what I think it was like kind of expected, you know, you do, everyone does real estate. It's the only way to freedom. Kind of those, one of those lessons you have to learn for yourself. Um, so then 2000, I don't know what year that was 15, um, started looking more, started helping offer services to manage and kind of get into the know of how, how, what does it look like to manage our portfolio and help grow someone's portfolio? So I'd say when you don't have a ton of capital, which we didn't have enough to really make a significant investment in like, you know, a rental, Mm -hmm. what I did was I offered kind of like services in exchange for mentorship and leadership and knowledge in. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so this is very good. Yeah. This is a good idea. Yeah. So I guess people could probably look at you me. You basically and- said you went to a property management company or a portfolio. I went to an investor, an investor. and offered to help yeah. manage their portfolio yeah. and learn how do they, what are the criteria they're looking at when they go to acquire? What, you know, where do they acquire? What their, what is their strategy? You know, because you have people, I think what I learned in that first few months was everyone has their own buy box their own like what they love to invest in you know some people they're never going to do short-term rentals they will only do long-term and then you have people that swear by wholesaling or swear by fix and flip or swear by short-term rentals yeah so it allowed me to kind of figure out okay what do i like what do i not like and then you know right before covid hit i was looking into mortgage notes and I, you know, read, did what most people probably do. I read every single book I could get my hands on and consumed yeah. all the content yeah. online for free um, and did the same thing. Um, mortgage notes was a little bit lower of a barrier to entry as well, which was awesome because then we could take that cash and divert, like put it into multiple assets. Yeah. So yeah, we started, I started doing that and, you know, started looking at second position mortgage notes because again, lower barrier to entry. And if I, if it went totally south, I wasn't too heavily invested in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it ended up being, you know, a great experience. And I really grew to love the industry, you know, realized it's pretty small and pretty niche of an industry. Yeah. So it was, I really could capitalize on those relationships that I like to build. Yeah. So that that's very interesting. And the thing too, with the, uh, the mortgage notes is that you still have to have a good foundation uh, on real estate because- Oh, yeah. You have to know, okay, well, this is the right market. This is the right value of the property. This is, you know, you have, you have to understand the real estate because the, the, the mortgage is, is leaning against, I'm using that term kind of. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no pun intended. Against that, exactly, right. Against that property. That's why you have a lean yeah. property. Uh, and uh, so you have to understand its value in order for you to feel, uh, to kind of like measure the level of risk that you want to take. Yeah your mortgage notes so i think that's so i think the fact that you went to real estate first and then kind of like went to to mortgage notes i think yeah 
perfect sense. Uh, have you done any of these, uh, what's his name? Eddie Speed event? <laughs> I have not. I didn't do uh, note school, but Eddie is, you know, again, small industry. I just saw him, I actually met him in person for the first time at Quest, Quest Expo out in Houston. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then I know he has his expo coming up in November, which I unfortunately cannot he's make. From, he's but... from Texas. So I think it's like, yeah, he, and he doesn't travel much. So I think. No, it Quest was in Texas. Note <laughs> school is in, and Note Expo is in Texas. Yeah. I'm in California. I don't particularly love going to Texas. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a long flight. <laughs> oh, so, two um, hours. <laughs> no, well, I, you know, I have to drive to LA first. Oh. That's two and a half hours. So. I don't, I guess it's more driving to LA that I don't really love. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's true. I think that it allowed me to find starting in real estate and then going into notes gave me a good foundation, but it also allowed me to find like where my risk tolerance is. Yeah. And I think that's something important for people who are, you know, starting out looking to diversify into real estate. Yeah. You need to be very in tune with what your risk is. If you're going to go for a model that I would view as less risky because you want a higher return, there's also, you have to realize it's going to be a higher chance of no return or mm -hmm. less return. Um, And I liked that I didn't have to deal with tenants. The notes were, the liens were secured by, you know, single family residences. And then, like you said, using my, knowledge of the industry to say, okay, these are the markets where I want to look at notes. Mm -hmm. And just like anything, doing your due diligence, knowing what's that property value, who's the borrower, what are the laws? There's, yeah, there's a lot more things that go into notes than probably most because you're also dealing with like foreclosure, bankruptcy, laws of a specific state being very different from the state next to it. So um, it was, it was definitely great to have the initial real estate background for yeah. sure and education yeah and for me after understanding that notes notes business i mean i started into it and in doing seller financing so okay yeah some of the single family turnkey yeah. rentals that we were selling uh some people couldn't qualify for loans they you know yeah. but they were willing to put a, a large down payment so we would kind of like do a deal with them and do seller financing and uh yeah and it was great. I mean, it was constant cash flow, cash flow you can count on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I mean, you're right. You don't have to worry about, about tenants. You don't have to worry about any repairs. You don't have to yep. worry about anything like that. But um, so, so from that perspective, it was great. I mean, I, I really liked it. And our return was good because we had purchased the property. We had yep. renovated it and we sold it at uh, after repair value at that market value. And then, so we were making a profit on that. And then we're getting like a significant down payment to make sure that we had a return. I think our return was like four, 15% or something. Like yeah. That. So that's kind of what we were shooting for. And then, uh, but it was great for the, for the buyer also, because we wanted to make sure that he was also getting, they were also getting like a 10 or 12% cap rate. Uh, yeah. Not cap rate, cash on cash return. Oh, um, so, um, so that's kind of what we uh, we were looking for, and uh, so that was a win win. They got the house, they got twelve percent cash on cash return, and mm -hmm. we got a good return on our side also. Yep. Um, so that worked out worked out pretty good. And um, 
a lot of our, our buyers are the investor on the single family rentals. I mean, they don't necessarily have to deal like day to day. They have a property management uh, company that manages them. Yeah. They don't have to manage the tenants. They don't have to, to collect payments or anything like that. Yeah. Every once in a while, I mean, they do have to approve repairs and they do have yeah. to they get notified that the tenant leaves and then you have to find yeah. a tenant and then you don't and, have to rent for a while and all that. Yeah. And if you do have like not in no way am I saying that like, you know, long term rentals isn't a good play. It definitely is. That's all my sister does. And she's super successful. Um but if you if you do go that route, I like you said, having a good either team or management company or system in place will make you know the world of a difference. So really, like you know, maybe it's because I come from the tech world, but utilizing technology to your advantage these days, yeah, um, as much as you can, really will help save you tons of time and frustration. Yeah. And then, um, so that's, so that's, so that's good. So you're working, you're looking at your friend and then say, oh yeah, she's doing great on the real estate and she's, uh, going on, uh, travel <laughs> around the world and doesn't have to worry about anything and say, I want that. And then, <laughs> then you start getting into this. Then you also look at mortgage notes and stuff. Like but studying mortgage note is not, so what intrigued you about mortgage note? This is not usual. I mean, I was interested in it because I like. No, it's unusual for sure. I like numbers. Uh, I come from an actuarial background. So, yeah. I, so I like that. And, yeah. But not many people are like that. And there's so many no. things about that. Yeah. Space. So, um, you know, I think it was someone had said something on a podcast. Again, you know, free content is out there. Yeah. And I think it's your, your podcast, all the podcasts, like again, just consuming content and then taking action on that, I think is the kind of key differentiator is to take action. Yeah. So I had heard someone mention mortgage notes. I can't remember who it was on a podcast I was listening to. And it was something like you said, it's super niche. It's not something I had heard of before, but it sounded and I, I will say it did sound more like mailbox money than it is, yeah. <laughs> but it sounded like something I wanted to look into. And literally with COVID, I kind of just accelerated everything because I we had more time at home yeah. with everyone. So yeah. <laughs> I had more time to really sit down, you know, and dig into, okay, first, do I want to start with first or seconds, you know? can we buy a pool? Can we buy a small pool of seconds? Like how much is that going to cost? What are people paying? I think really learning what to pay to get the yield we needed or wanted mm -hmm. and still be competitive in the industry was something that took quite a bit of time. But I, yeah, I think it was just hearing that podcast, reaching out to people, literally Googling mortgage notes and starting from literally square one, because it is very different. Yeah. Um, and asking, I'm a big fan of, and this probably is because of my business development background. People in this industry are super helpful, not just mortgage notes, real estate. Yeah, that's true. All, like every person we have on our podcast, I'm sure yeah. you yeah. are always saying like, have reach out to me if you have any questions. And so I think I may be one of the people who actually does. <laughs> I do email people or if I hear someone speak on a webinar, you know, I will email them and say, Hey, you said X, Y, and Z that really resonated with me. I'd love to pick your brain on this. Yeah. Or do you have time for five minutes on the phone? Um, 
And I think doing that enough times, you find out kind of what kind of business you want to build, who you want to partner with. And then you have a ton of resources, people willing to help you out in some way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this industry, real estate, and I include mortgage in in there as well. I mean, people people are very friendly. They're very uh, helpful to one another. It's just, uh, it's an incredible industry to be part of. Uh, And part part of the reason is that uh, we have uh, free time. Uh, (laughs) So we're looking at that. And then people feel that, I have like I have a few people that uh, they ping me on Instagram and they say, oh, you know, you're just, uh, you know, why are you helping people? It, like, it's kind of it's kind of weird. They kind of like want they think I have something behind my back or I'm hiding something, uh, and because I'm I'm trying to help people, I'm spending time, uh, you know, being on this podcast and posting yeah. Instagram and all that kind of stuff and writing articles and all that. But yeah. You think I have an ulterior motive, but it's just because I'm so, I'm really literally very happy that I, I managed to achieve financial freedom with, with real estate that I want to share yeah. with other people. Because a little bit like you, I was, uh, I didn't want to do real estate either. I, st- I started real estate. I had given up on real estate, I should say, maybe. Uh, <laughs> I, I, built, I bought my first apartment building at 18 years old, 18-unit apartment building, cash flowing, no money down. Uh, and I had a mentor that was kind of helping me doing that. And I said, okay, well, I this is my, I want to learn everything that this guy has to yeah. And I was at university at the time. I said, well, you know, university second priority. This is real life. And uh, so I ended up buying an eight unit apartment building at that point. But then it took a long time for me to be able to replicate that. Uh, and then I ended up in California and, uh, you know, numbers don't make sense. Uh, and even though I had tons of money at that time, I had, I had like stock options at uh, yeah. Google system uh, and had tons of stock options. And I, I, you know, I wanted to invest and the numbers didn't make sense. And um, so I waited, waited, and uh, eventually came back only 10 years ago into, uh, into real estate and have been very successful um, and turned that into a family business. You're talking about how important your family is. Uh, yeah. This is, this is it. So just like, like you I also, I kind of like, I didn't want to be into that. I had, I, I'd rather try other businesses. I tried to do software. I tried to do independent <laughs> consulting. I tried to do food business. I had a gourmet sauce company, all that kind of stuff, but uh, tried all kinds of things and then came back to real estate. And then, you know, then I, I said, okay, well, I have to share it with other people. So they don't waste the time that I wasted. Yeah. Focus on that. Be done with it. Achieve financial freedom. Then if you want to do a gourmet sauce company, then you can do it. Then you can do your gourmet sauce company. Right. So uh, focus on what makes money, then focus on your passion. Yeah. Unless your passion makes money. Um, So that that's a long, long way around. But um, seller finance. So let's talk a little bit more about about the the, that mortgage notes business, because it's it's a very uh, special kind of business. Yeah. Um, I know there are different categories, different types of note. You mentioned a couple of times that you're focusing on the second position uh, mortgage notes. So this is very particular kind of uh, of note uh, so tell us a little bit about the different types of notes uh, that you that uh, an investor could buy yeah so you have 
your first position lanes, which is what most people would think of as, you know, when you go to buy a home, it's the mortgage, it's the first loan that you take out. Um, and within you, so you have that, I'm trying to think of there's so many different options. Then you have second position, which would be, it could be like a second, either a second loan that you have on your house, or it could be a HELOC, or it can be any sort of line of credit that's attached to the house that you take out. So I focused on those mostly because they were a, at first I did, I had, do did go into first, but because they have a smaller barrier to entry. So mm-hmm. I was able to get, you know, mortgage notes for like, I think I bought my first pool was like 50 K and I got seven notes and they were, you know, low dollar, but it was a good place to learn how to navigate the mortgage note industry, the, who are the players, who's the team I have to have in place to really scale this. Mm-hmm. Um, and with first, so there's kind of pros and cons to both of them. You know, you have first, which is exactly what it says other than tax liens, city liens, they are in first position. So if they foreclose, you are the first to get paid as long as there's no outstanding taxes. So a lot of people gravitate towards that because they're great. I don't have to worry about anything but taxes, essentially, you know, and clean title. And then you have seconds, which again is what I started with. And you pro, you don't have to have a huge amount of money to get started. Excuse me. Um, But you do have the value of the property is 10 times more important. Mm -hmm. I think that I got into it at a great time because it was I bought them pretty much right when COVID hit and value skyrocketed. Now I already did my research and made sure I had, you know, complete uh, loan to value, like coverage between the first, the second, any outstanding taxes with the buffer. But, you know, that only gave me more of a buffer because of how COVID, what COVID did to the housing market. Mm -hmm. Now you, so you do need to know value is super important with seconds. And so is, you know, the position of the first. You know, if if they're in foreclosure, are they paying? Are they not paying? So then even within the different types of liens, first or second, you can also purchase performing liens or non-performing liens. So performing are, you know, people who are paying their mortgage on time. You know, you're just sitting there collecting payments. And then non-performing, you know, technically qualifies as anything over 90 days delinquent would be considered non-performing. So borrowers who, you know, I purchased some notes, people hadn't paid for like five years. So yeah, it's a very <laughs> different conversation from, you know, someone who hasn't paid for five months. Yeah. Um, and when you are purchasing these loans, something that they talk about a lot is like UPB, which is unpaid principal balance. So when I talk about getting, you know, <clears throat> what was it? Seven notes for that 50K, it I wasn't paying 50K for... worth of loan balances. Mm -hmm. You know, I was paying 50K for like $120,000, $150,000 worth of loan balances. You're getting a significant discount because these aren't performing. You get less of a discount if they are performing. But yeah, when they're not performing, you're really, the point is you're, you know, you're buying them at a discount because you are taking that risk that, it could go to foreclosure or, you know, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. 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 And if they're non-performing also, I mean, you may have to, you know, contact them, take action, work with yeah. them on, on a. Oh yeah. 
you know, yeah, so that's where the laws, Spain, you know, this is, <laughs> yeah. And that's where the laws knowing, you know, having a legal counsel in each state comes in handy. So what is the law in California? Very different from New York, very different yeah. from Texas. Yeah. And if a borrower isn't paying, being able to draw in that counsel and say, Hey, what are my, uh, what are my next steps? Like, what can I do? Because when I say notes are secured by the property, the way that happens is through foreclosure. So obviously it's not ideal. We always try to work with the borrower and figure something out. Um, and more often than not, I'm actually shocked at how many people just, their loan was transferred so many times they stopped paying because they didn't know. Yeah, and yeah. so it was a simple phone call to get them paying again. Um, but there are those people that basically say, I haven't paid in five years, I'm never paying again. And so your option then is foreclosure. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what happens? So if you're in second lien position and then, uh, you know, they stop paying the first lien, uh, is the first lien lender contacting you? Because you're you're basically, do you always have the option of taking the property when you're in second lien position? Yeah, or? you can foreclose from second position. I've done that with a handful of ones that I owned. Um if, I mean, if there's not equity, that doesn't make sense. You want to continue to work with the borrower or try to work with the borrower. Um, if, yeah, and if they're not paying, there is equity. You do have the ability to foreclose from second position, which I think a lot of people don't know yeah. or don't think can happen. They think you have to be in first position to do that. Um, you, if it doesn't, you know, sell at auction and you take back the property, you are responsible for paying the first lean. Yeah, yeah. So that's something to consider again. Well, that's why equity is such a big part of it. Um, but yeah, you do have the right to foreclose from second position. And again, if the value is there and uh, if the value is there, it's going to sell at auction and you're going to get paid in full. Yeah. So, yeah, but you can, we, uh, I think everybody can kind of understand that there is like, there's more risk obviously, Yep. Uh, because when the value of the property goes down, I mean, the first thing that gets cut off is yeah. second yeah. Lien, uh, yeah. that's going to be uh, cut off. Uh, I mean, right now we're probably going to see a lot of people yeah. who took out seconds yeah. and are not able to repay for, you know, just where the economy is at right now. And I anticipate there'll be quite a few seconds coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of people have, um, you know, have taken second lien position or have taken an HELOC uh, to invest in something or to invest in their own home. Mm -hmm. And now if they want to, if they want to refi, it's going to be very expensive for them to refi. Like the, the refi, because yeah. that's what people were doing in California. I mean, that's what people were doing. Take a HELOC and then they would kind of like renovate their house and stuff like that or do something or buy buy a car yep. and uh, waste money and then yeah, uh, yeah. They, <laughs> and then uh, then they would refi eventually there was a whole refi game going on in uh, yeah. california but now if you're in that situation now you're maxed out on heloc and your and you value wanna... of your property is probably dropping as most are yeah. um yeah it's not a great position for a lot of people right now to That's be in right. who did that yeah, so that's going to be that's going to be very interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, but this is for that reason. This is why um, it's you know it's important for you. You get a discount. So if you get like a, a loan, yeah. and what the amount left over to be paid by the the lender is yep. is a hundred thousand dollars, you would pay us. You would get a significant discount uh, in order to buy that. Yeah. Yeah. 
Correct. Yeah. So you get the discount and that's kind of factored into like, think of it as a buffer Mm -hmm. as to like, even if you don't get paid, say the whole second isn't wiped out. If say like, just, you know, if you have a $50,000 note and you purchase it for 25, say you don't get the whole 50, you're Mm -hmm. still going to hopefully get something unless for some reason you just didn't do enough, have enough of a buffer in your value. Yeah. So obviously you're a very num- numbers oriented person. Um, so, <laughs> right? Because I think you have you have to ca- have some assumptions about what you think. What is the probability of you know of this lien being uh, you know not be- having to be foreclosed uh, or the value of the property going down? What's the uh, you know what's the probability of all of that happening? In order for you to estimate what the return is going to be, what what return are you looking for on these notes on these second position loan? Yeah. Um. So, well, I'll speak. It's changed a little bit, and obviously, the last few years, and with our new, with the new, you know, company that I'm working, that me and my business partner started, it's we're more focused on first, and so when we're looking at a portfolio and making acquisitions, we will bid based off of a for performing 15% plus i'd say it's like 15 15 is the minimum return okay. Okay. and then with non-performing we're looking at 20 plus okay as far as like and again those are like our benchmarks we the weird thing about this industry is a lot of it is experience and gut of like okay i've been through this 100 times we kind of know that the ones in this state, in this area are, we can get, you know, higher returns. So even if the seller, you know, say we'll take that bid price that gives us a 15% return, we might not just bid that just to get that return. Obviously we can be more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So do you do a uh, mainly owner occupied or you do uh, also like investment properties or um, mainly we owner occupied. Okay. okay. Yeah. Very interesting. And then for the uh, for the performing or, you know, or uh, so do you have do you use a service? So you're getting the are you getting the payment directly in your bank account or are you? No, that's a great question. Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, because we are have servicers in multiple states. Well, we have a few servicers we use that um, cover the U.S. Yeah. So servicers are ever since pretty much COVID when the CFPB kind of cracked down on their regulations of this industry specifically and lending and private lending um, and foreclosure even, and you saw the moratoriums go up. So it, I think before that it was starting to crack down and you needed a servicer. Some people would still self-service and get payments directly from the borrower. And I know with owner financing, you can do that, but for other, for non-owner finance loans, yeah, they are serviced through a third-party servicer. We don't talk to the borrowers. They do all the communication with the borrowers. They send, you know, a hello, this is your new lender letter. They collect payments. They have, you know, then send those payments to us. And and then, you know, any non-performing loans, they are the first person to contact the borrower. And then we make the, you know, strategic decisions on what we're willing to offer and how we can work with them. Mm-hmm. But we typically don't contact the borrower directly. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Yeah. The nice thing about the servicer is that they they take uh, all the payments, they give you a report, they take action yeah. if uh, and send a letter to the to the borrower and say, hey, you know, you haven't paid your 
blah, blah, blah. They send mm -hmm. statements. They send also these, uh, the reports to the government uh, about the interest amount that they paid and all that and the interest amount that you made. Uh, so all, all these things. So it, it yeah. kind of like it's and it's relatively cheap. Um, it depends. Yeah. And it's a liability. It's a legal yeah. thing. You know, they are licensed to do business in most all the states that they're registered in. And so yeah. there's no liability that will come back on us as lenders. Yeah, that's right. And some important. of the liability, as you mentioned, the consumer protection. Uh, yeah. You know, you have to do certain communications to yep. uh, to your borrowers. And then if you don't do it correctly, then you're in trouble. Uh, so this is where the servicer is. Uh, they stay on top of that. And it's, uh, you know, you don't want to you don't want to deal with. No, no, <laughs> no. I think the like the key phrase is like, do what you're good at. And yeah. rely on the experts for legal servicing yeah. title to do what they're good at. And then you take it, you do the strategic evaluation yeah. and you do what you're best at, which is that yeah. not. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like your property management for your. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You take care of that. And I will so you tell do you. Have right. You do have tenants. <laughs> you don't have any toilets and roof. Though. No, no, no repairs. I mean, <laughs> unless you go the contract for deed route, then technically you do, oh. but we don't really do that anymore. So. Yeah. yeah and um, okay. So that's very interesting. So this good. in I like this industry also because it's uh, it's clean. I mean, you're just dealing with, you know, I'm a math guy, so I, I like numbers <laughs> and all that. So I, you deal in a spreadsheet, you calculate yeah. thing, and, oh, yeah. you know, and it's it's great. I mean, it's very, uh, it's just numbers. And um, so, and you make mon more numbers come back into your <laughs> bank account. It's all numbers, really, when you think about it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and numbers that it is. It is. Numbers I will. Yeah, yeah. It's... um. We have a great team that we have a lot of spread. I will say we have a lot of spreadsheets floating around. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me about a, kind of like the team that you mentioned. So what? Who do you have as part of your team um, to yeah. make the business? Also, like how many nodes do you have in terms of uh, of size? Yeah. In terms of uh, amount? Yeah. So one of the people, you know, I mentioned earlier how I was very proactive in reaching out to people and learning the industry. Someone I did hear speak at a conference. Um, told me all told the audience all the ways we were going to lose money making mm -hmm. notes doing notes <laughs> yeah you're going to lose money doing this and that and this yeah. and it was the first time that i had heard that from someone yeah and i was i loved it i was like this is the first time i've had someone tell me like not to do this and it just felt very transparent you didn't want to have any competition so yeah <laughs> no yeah, there's no there's enough to go around um so I reached out to him and he actually started mentoring me and I started managing all his, his assets as well. Um, and then what happened was he had a ton of regulation D funds mm -hmm. and was also working with non-accredited investors to do partials or joint ventures. And again, I'm helping manage this. I'm helping manage my portfolio of my own, um, and together we, you know, started a regulate, we launched a regulation A plus offering and scaled and built out a team. We have all of our lawyers, our servicers, and then our internal team. So, you know, right now for this specific fund, we have about 20 million assets under management since July that we launched. Wow. And it's, yeah, I mean, again, it's just having those right, the right team in place. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. 
So for uh, so basically, this fund uh, mm. Reg A funds means that it's it's registered with the SEC, yep. and then that they are able to uh, to accept money from any retail investors, anyone uh, yeah. who wants to invest. And uh, the the reason why they are allowed to do that is because they registered with the SEC. They abide by certain uh, by strict standard for maintaining records, accounting, yep. and also. Uh, you know, sharing information about kind of how the well the business is doing so that mm -hmm. your investment is, at least you're informed about the investment. Yeah, is. I was going to say, so you can see <laughs> the transparency is really what it, I think it does the most. Um, yeah, so we went through that process and we're qualified as of July. Mm -hmm. And again, not our first offering, but our first Regulation A offering. And okay. it is very unique. I mean, it's something that has been around for a while, but I see it as like the crowdfunding of alternative investments for yeah. real estate. Mm -hmm. And I, in the past few months, we've been to a few conferences and it's come up a lot. I think it's gaining momentum in not just the note space, but in real estate in general, mm -hmm. especially with the debt funds. Um, yeah. Other, yeah. So I, you know, because there are people who aren't accredited that do want to get started, but don't know how. So this is, or they don't want to be hands-on, they want passive. So it's just a different option yeah. um, for them. Yeah. So if someone is interested in uh, in investing in notes and mortgage notes on their own, so how should yeah. they, how should they get started? On their own. Ooh. Um, how, much, how much time do they need? How much money do they need? Where would they get the, the yeah. notes? example to uh yeah to for sure and those where to get the notes what to pay for the notes yeah and are probably the two things that took me the longest to figure out and i still feel like i can't give a great answer yeah <laughs> because it really is all industry like relationship building yeah. people will sell first to people they know like and trust yeah. and because of all the regulations like if i did something wrong it doesn't come back to them the seller if I broke a rule, yeah. which that kind of like chain of title follows. Mm -hmm. So when you're getting started, I would say joining the different Facebook groups, attending the conferences, even if you attend virtual and kind of seeing who you resonate with. The space is pretty small. You have your owner finance, like Tracy and Fred owner finance game. They're huge. Um, you have Eddie speed at note school. Yeah. Uh, you have, you know, my business partner, Chris 70, um, you have a lot of people who you're just going to see again and again and again. Um, I would just watch their content, see, you know, who you resonate with. And a lot of them do sell and broker notes as well. Like mm -hmm. I know we sell assets to individual investors all the time. Yeah. So you can go sign up for different people's sign to sign people's NDAs and then get on their list. Um, there's kind of a few different levels of investors. So you have your individual investors, you have your like institutional investors, and then you have like the larger banks and hedge funds. Yeah. So as an individual investor, you're really going to be going to, you know, the other bigger funds to buy notes that they're going to liquidate. Mm -hmm. So you have, again, 70 investments, you have first lien capital, you have um, paper stack, which is kind of like a marketplace <laughs> for notes. Yeah. Um, if you're just looking to see what's out there, that's a great place to go because it's kind of like looking at Amazon for notes. You're like, yeah. they're listed there. You can see what you want, what you don't want. You can filter. Um, 
So that's where I would look for notes is going to those funds and seeing if they sell. And if they do sell, asking to get on their list. Um, And then how much to pay? That's constantly changing. I think that also just depends on what return you're looking for and how realistic that is. And that's where that mentorship or relationship with people in the industry is going to come in huge Mm -hmm. because you don't want to be someone that's overpaying. You know, when I purchased my first note, I was very lucky that they told me you're over, you're paying too much for this. Yeah. Like, and they came back and said like, no, it's only worth this here. You can have it, but for this price. And I mean, how awesome is that? That doesn't, you know, that just shows there's still good people out there. (laughs) Oh, <laughs> now that's good. good. You don't so want to, you know. What's the minimum amount that uh, people should should have yeah. for investing? I would say, like, very conservatively, twenty five thousand. Oh wow! To start so really low barrier to entry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, if you're looking at seconds, and it, you might be looking at some non-performing first. Performing is obviously going to cost you more, but I'm talking like you need that to purchase servicing, legal. There are different costs associated. Yeah. with, you know, holding the loan and what you decide to do with it. Yeah. Um, and then just time, like a lot of people don't want to go the legal route, but then they end up sitting with a loan for a year and a half. That's not making them any money. Yeah. You know, you start legal and the person takes you seriously and starts paying. Yeah. So yeah, I'd say, you know, 25, 30 ish, just for one, I'm not talking like to build a huge portfolio and obviously pricing is adjusting, um, to purchase. But I think if you do your research and get on all the lists that you can probably find one around there. Sounds good. Very good. Uh, so Lauren, uh, you know, you're obviously a wealth of information in, the in the notes, uh, industry. So if people want to get a hold of you, I think you also have a podcast, uh, yeah. creating wealth simplified. So I think that, uh, would be great, but where else can people reach out to you? Yeah. Um, you can email me directly. I mean, Lauren at seven, the number seven eInvestments.com. Like you mentioned, Eric, we do have a podcast. So even if you're interested in just notes, we recently rebranded the podcast to more general creating well simplified. But if you go back to episode one, before I was even on it, before I probably even entered the note space, um, it's all about notes. So if that's what you're interested in, it's a great podcast for that. Um, and then I'm happy, you know, to pay it forward. I've been very lucky and fortunate to have some great people help me along the way. So if anyone's interested in speaking with me, Lauren, you can email me directly, Lauren at 70 investments.com. Well, thank you, Lauren. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. Make sure you like, and subscribe and, uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you. Again. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye. bye. Thank you for listening to Break Away from the Rat Race with your host, Eric Martell. If you want to share your story and experience with our listeners, please message us on Facebook at Break Away from the Rat Race. Also, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast on iTunes.